0: So I was tired a little bit ago. I'm not tired anymore. Not after that. You can't be tired. It's 9 o'clock, but when you worship like that, it's so energizing. Amen. It's just, they do such an incredible job. My name's Ricky Hemi. It's great to be with you guys this morning. I'm happy to announce I am officially a Central Valley resident. So it's really happening. I'm, I'm almost moved into my house right now. I'm staying with Jonathan and Rigo and, and just kind of bunking up with them. Next Friday, I'll be officially moved in. My kids started school about a week ago. We're in the middle of this transition. We're happy to be with you guys. It's scary. It's hard. It's challenging. But you guys have made it a joy. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your, your support. I want to thank the, the board for their support, the staff, the congregation. You guys have been Awesome. But I'm excited to finally be here with you guys. We're going to jump into a sermon series on prayer. I kicked it off a month ago. The sermon series is titled, What Would Jesus Pray? And today's sermon is titled, Rebellious Prayers. Rebellious Prayers. And the reason I wanted to preach on prayer as my first sermon series with you guys. Is because the more I thought about it, the, the more I've wrestled through this transition, the more I've realized that everything I need to do and everything we need to do as we move ahead through this transition into new territory, everything we do, every decision we make must be bathed in prayer. John Wesley says that God does nothing but in response to prayer. John Piper says there aren't any victories in the Christian life without prayer. Our country needs a lot of prayer right now. Amen. Amen. Afghanistan needs a lot of prayer right now. Our schools need a lot of prayer. Our kids need a lot of prayer. This church needs a lot of prayer. If we want to see victories in this community, if we want to see victories in our families, And if we want to see victories in this church, then it all begins with prayer. Bringing our needs, bringing our hopes, bringing our struggles before a father in heaven. A father who hears, a father who loves, a father who responds, a father who gave you access to him through the blood of his son Jesus. And you actually get to go to the God of the universe, the one in charge of everything. And bring your petitions to him. That's where change happens, friends. That's where revival happens. That's how churches are transformed. That's how communities are revived. That's how families are changed. That is where it all begins on our knees in fervent prayer. And some of you, maybe today, you're struggling in your prayer life, and that's common. And so I want to encourage you in your prayer life. I want to give you some practical steps you could take towards praying like Jesus through this sermon series. And so we're today going to continue unpacking the Lord's Prayer, which is a famous prayer, a prayer you're probably very familiar with. And if you remember last time when I introed the Lord's Prayer, I want to remind you the Lord's Prayer actually isn't a prayer. It's actually more of a guide for things to pray for. It's, it's these categories that Jesus encourages us to cover. It's not something that we just repeat over and over again. Instead, they're springboards for things that Jesus wants us to pray for. And so, this is what Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer. You might remember we broke it down with a, a preface and then six petitions. And so, the preface is Our Father in Heaven. Petition one is hallowed be your name. Number two, your kingdom come. Number three, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Four, give us this day our daily bread. Five, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And six, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The first three petitions are what I covered last time. And and those petitions, uh, they call uh, us to, to look to God. They call attention to his greatness and his power. The last three petitions, though, which we'll cover today, call attention to the daily needs that you and I face as human beings. And so last time I preached, when we looked at the first three petitions, things to pray for, remember this isn't necessarily something to recite. You should memorize it and know it, but it's a springboard in prayer. And so last time I encouraged you with the Lord's Prayer to, number one, pray that God would be first in all things. Number two, pray that God would use you in his kingdom work. And number three, to pray for faith, to trust his will in every season. So that's what the first half taught us. Now we're going to dive into the second half. So will you guys pray with me and we'll jump in. God, I thank you so much for South Valley. I thank you for the energy and the excitement in the room today. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for reviving us, for, for making your home in us. For causing us to live a new way, for filling us with love for others, love for the lost, love for the hurting. And speaking of the hurting right now, we do pray, God, for those who are suffering in Afghanistan right now. We pray, God, for those who are have been left behind and, and struggling and, and not knowing if they're going to make it another day. We pray especially for your church in Afghanistan. We pray for the little ones, the children, anyone who's vulnerable. We pray, God, that you would protect, that you would just provide And we just pray for your hope in this situation. Speak to us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen. Now, quick question. No need to raise your hand on this one. But do we have any overthinkers in the house this morning? Okay, do any of you struggle with turning off your brain at times? Now, if you're wrestling right now with whether or not you're an overthinker, you're definitely an overthinker. Now, overthinking is a, is a pretty common thing. And, and some of us, we spend a lot of time doing it. We spend a lot of time ruminating about the past and replaying things in our head over and over again. Like, like why did I say good when my boss said hi? Like, he must think I'm strange. Or why did I say you too when the barista said uh, enjoy your drink? Like, she must think I'm, I'm strange. So sometimes we replay episodes over and over. Another way we tend to overthink is by creating these wild ideas in our heads about the future, like the idea that the Cowboys are gonna win a Super Bowl one day. Sorry, sorry. Sorry, I heard Pastor Frank's sermon last week. I actually like the Cowboys. I do like the Cowboys. Thank you, Pastor Frank. We love you. Um, we need to pray for the Cowboys, though, if they're gonna pull this thing off, okay? <laughs> now, I'm not much of an overthinker, but as a dad, It has definitely, my overthinking capacities have definitely been amped up as a father. Okay, my wife and I, we just spent a month wrestling through what beds to get the kids for their rooms. And and finally, at the end of the day, we went with the beds we chose on day one. Okay, we wasted a month of time just, just overthinking the process. Maybe you relate to that. Well, one serious way that we tend to overthink in parenting is when our kids do something wrong. I read a few articles this past week that said that parents often grow anxious when their child does something wrong because they, they worry like, oh no, my child is going to grow up to be a rebellious kid. And they, they, go, they grow anxious and there's all kinds of articles about this. Now I just want to encourage you parents, as parents we know our job is to do the best we can to raise our kids in the Lord and, and the rest is out of our hands, right? Right? We, we pray for our kids. We point our kids to Jesus. We raise them the best we can. The rest is out of our hands. But, but still, as a parent, seeing your child rebel every now and then can be kind of a scary thing. But one thing I want you to see today is that a rebellious spirit, properly channeled, isn't actually a bad thing. You see, in today's culture, if we truly want to raise kids who love the Lord and seek after his will, then they're going to need to be a bit rebellious. They're going to need to be a bit rebellious if they're going to swim against the strong, strong uh, stream of culture. They're going to need to be a bit rebellious if they're going to choose not to conform to the world around them. And so all of us, we need a little bit of a rebel spirit you see, we think of rebellion as, oh man, people are turning from good and, and going to bad. But really, everybody does that. Everybody's going in the same stream, in the same direction. The rebels are the people who say, no, I'm not going in that direction. And so I wanna encourage you, if you have a rebellious kid, just rechannel that energy. It's not too bad. God could redeem it, God can use it. And we all need that fighting spirit. To, to turn from what culture is saying and, and to go in whatever, God, whatever direction God has for us. And I share this with you because there's no greater way to rebel against this world than to pray. Prayer is rebellion. David Wells says it this way. He says, what then is the nature of petitionary prayer? It is, in essence, rebellion. Rebellion against the world and its fallenness. The absolute and undying refusal to accept as normal what is pervasively abnormal. It is... In this, its negative aspect, the refusal of every agenda, every scheme, every interpretation that is at odds with the norm as originally established by God. And as such, it is itself an expression of the unbridgeable chasm that separates good from evil. The declaration that evil is not a variation on good, but its antithesis. Every time we pray, we are rebelling against the world. We are saying, God, we're not content with this broken world. I'm not content with this brokenness on my life. I'm not content with this sin in my life. I'm not content that I, I need you to intervene, to do what only you can do to work in unnatural ways. Prayer is rebellion. And so these last three petitions, they, they encourage us to, to come to the Lord in prayer, and they're, they're actually uh, inspire us to rebel in three different ways. The first, is to rebel against excess and overindulgence. The second is to rebel against sin and bitterness. And the third is to rebel against Satan and temptation. So let's look at each one. Rebel against excess and overindulgence. The prayer says this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Praying for daily bread harkens back to Israel's days in the wilderness. If you remember in the book of Exodus, Israel and its people, they were, they were lost in the wilderness, wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And for 40 years, they were trained to rely on daily manna from heaven. And any excess that they would collect that day when God provided them with food, any excess that they would collect would be spoiled by the second day. And so, for 40 years, God's people, they were just one day away from starvation, yet at the same time, they had everything they needed to survive and thrive. They were always one day away from starvation, but at the same time, they had no need and no want. Now, the Greek word daily here is is the term epiousios, kind of a hard one to pronounce. And this term, it only appears in the Lord's Prayer. There are two sections that it appears in the Lord's Prayer. And it means for the present day or for necessary existence today. Now, some days, as we know, are easier than others. But each day, you and I, we face daily needs. And, and just as our needs vary every day, so then our prayers vary every day. Sometimes our prayer is, especially if you have young kids, if you have young kids, sometimes your prayer is, Lord, just, just give me energy. <laughs> just, just give me the energy I need to get through this day. Give me the patience I need. That's a prayer for daily bread. Lord, I have so much on my schedule I've got this appointment, I've got school for the kids, I've got sports, I've got to run around town. Please, Lord, just give me the energy that I need for today. That's a prayer for daily bread. Other times, though, our prayer is more like this. God, I don't know how I'm going to pay these bills. I don't know how I'm going to buy these groceries. But please supply me with what I need for today. That is a prayer for daily bread. And whatever your daily needs are, whether it's bread... Or clothes, or housing, or encouragement, or renewed patience with your children. God knows your daily needs and He promises to supply you with everything you need for today. And that's why Jesus, a few verses later, He encourages us not to be anxious. You know, when we become anxious, we become anxious when we overthink, we become anxious when we ruminate on the past. Focus on what's behind us. We become anxious when we spend too much time worrying about the future. Jesus encourages us to focus on today, to look at what's right in front of us. And He promises to give us every single thing we need to get through today, not to just survive today, but to thrive today. And so, praying for daily bread is God, you know what I need for today. Please supply me with what I need for today. And he promises to supply it. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? The Gentiles, they seek after these things. Your heavenly father knows you need them. He already knows that you need them. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In all of these things, they'll be added to you. Seek the Lord first, and everything you need for today will be supplied for you. So how is this rebellion? Maybe some of you are struggling with that term rebellion. I still like it, because I see this as rebellion. And one way I see this as rebellion is that praying for daily bread is rebellion because it pushes back against a lifestyle lifestyle of excess and overindulgence. See, we're, we're constantly bombarded with, with want and waste. You may know this, but according to, to researchers, America is the most wasteful nation on the planet. Some have called us the United States of excess. Okay, if, if there was one word to describe Americans, you know what it would be? More. More. More followers. More money. More square footage more stuff, more, 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 more. And when you have that mindset, and we're trained, as as Americans, we are trained to have that mindset, and what happens is we become anxious, we become discontent, we, we worry, we we compare ourselves to others, we see what they have and wonder why we don't have what they have, and all of that creeps down into our soul, and it pulls us from God, and we, and we get stuck, and we get tired, and we get burnt out. And Jesus is just saying, relax, just focus on today. One way that we rebel against over indulgence and in that that need for more is just God give me what I need for today this is super convicting as I'm moving my house okay when you if you ever moved your house you realize you accumulate a lot of stuff over the years okay I was in my garage yesterday we had seven uh Christmas tree stands <laughs> who needs seven Christmas tree stands Somehow, over the past 10 years, we accumulated seven Christmas tree stands. And and that's not unique, so I'm I'm getting rid of Christmas tree stands if anybody needs them. But praying for, for daily bread is saying, God, I don't need a lot. I just need what's necessary for today. And this kind of prayer, it encourages contentment. It reminds me of the proverb, Proverbs 30. It says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be fool and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. Lord, I don't want to be so comfortable that I feel like I don't need you. And I don't want to be struggling so much that I'm worried to get by and I'm tempted to do something wrong to provide for myself. Keep me in that sweet spot. In that sweet spot of depending on you, relying on you, but also seeing you provide for me in big and marvelous ways. Kind of like your children in Israel in the wilderness. And so I want to challenge you today in your prayer life, focus on today. Focus on what's right in front of you. It makes me think back to when I used to race motocross. When I used to race motocross, when you're leading a motorcycle race, there's two things that can kind of go bad for you. One is you start focusing too much on who's behind you. And if you're too worried about who's behind you, you kind of take your eyes off the track in front of you, and you start looking back, and you start thinking behind you. And what happens inevitably, if you look back too much, eventually you crash. Some of you experience that in life. The other problem I have as a motorcycle racer when I'm I'm leading, when I'm out front, is I look too far ahead and I start counting the laps in front of me like, oh my gosh, I have 10 more laps to go. And as soon as I count the laps, I become discouraged because the the finish line feels so far away. And so I tighten up and, and, and things get tough. The best thing to do as a motorcycle racer is to ride your own race. To focus on the track in front of you. And, and that's true not only in motorcycle racing, that's true in life. And, and one thing that we could do to teach our kids to, to be content is, is for, teach them not to worry about what everyone else is doing. Teach them not to worry about what all their friends have or don't have, or what you don't have compared to what others have. Just focus on what you, is in front of you. Focus on today. And so some of you here today, you need to learn to focus on, on what's right in front of you. God will supply you with what you need for today. That's his promise. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't dwell on the past. Live for today. That is, how we, that is what it means to pray for daily bread. Can I get an amen for that one? The second petition teaches us to rebel against sin and bitterness. All right, this is about to get real personal, guys. To rebel against sin and bitterness and bitterness. Let's look at it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as listen to this next line, as we have forgiven our debtors. The fifth petition is kind of a scary prayer Because it's the only prayer that Jesus expands on. And it's the only prayer that includes a prerequisite to its fulfillment. Jesus says more about it in verse 14. He says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses is that scary or what that is a very scary prayer you've probably recited the Lord's prayer over and over again and you probably just skimmed over that line like God I'm not going to sit and meditate on that one I'm just going to keep going through this give me my daily bread please okay this is this is a crazy prayer this is a hard prayer. If you Last time when I preached, I was encouraging us not to just lob up prayers in, in the sky and not actually mean it, but to actually, in our prayer lives, take the time to say, God, I mean this. I want this. I may not be there all the way yet. Help me get there. Help me mean it. Help me live it. Because that's where change happens. Change in you, change in your family, change in this church, change in the world. When you pray, you mean it, you, you meditate on Scripture, and you let God work. But what exactly does this petition mean? Does this mean that if we fail to forgive others, that we lose our own forgiveness? Is that what Jesus is saying? The best illustration of what Jesus means here is the parable of the unforgiving servant. You might remember this parable. Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, came up to Jesus and he said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. That sounds pretty generous. Seven times sounds really generous. Jesus says, no, not seven times. I tell you, 77 times. And then he gives this parable. He says there's this king who comes back to settle accounts with his servants. And he goes to one of his servants. And that servant is in, is in debt with the king. Six billion dollars in debt. Six billion dollars in debt. And it's supposed to, to symbolize an unpayable amount of money. Okay, can you pay six billion dollars off in your lifetime? Never, right? None of us can. And, and so it's supposed to symbolize an unpayable amount of money. And this is what this servant owes the king. Well, the servant, he comes to the king and, and he begs the king, King, have mercy on me. Take pity. Give me more time. I'll, I'll do what I got to do to get right with you. And you know what the king does because he's just, and he, and he, but he's also merciful and gracious. He says, you know what? I forgive you. Six billion dollars, I forgive you. Well, that servant, he left the king's presence. And he ran into another servant who owed him, who owed this servant, $12,000. Now, $12,000 is a lot of money. But how much money was this servant just forgiven? Six billion. So you would think that the servant who's forgiven six billion, when he meets somebody who owes him 12,000, might have a little grace and a little mercy, kind of like the grace and mercy he was shown, and actually release this person or work it out with this person. But what we read is that when the guy asked for time, instead he choked him and he said, Pay me what you owe. And then he called upon the jailers and he had the guy thrown in jail. And so Jesus concludes the parable with this. This is what he says. Matthew 18. It says, when the king heard what had happened, he summoned the man and he asked him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Wow. Wow. You know what Jesus is saying here? Forgiven people forgive people. You might as well learn forgiveness now, how to forgive others, because you're going to need it. You're going to need to forgive others quite often. Living in this broken world, friends might wrong you, family members might wrong you, people around you are going to wrong you. It's just a reality. You're going to need to learn to forgiveness right away because you're going to need it. And, And guess what? You're also going to need others to forgive you. You're also going to need others to extend forgiveness to you. If you're a believer this morning, I want to remind you, you have been forgiven of an insurmountable debt. All right, you have sinned against a holy God. Not just you, me. We have sinned against a holy and just God. And the wages of our sin is death. Separation from God. But God is so gracious and God is so good that he decided, in his it was in his will, to send his son to pay that debt for us. Some of us were in $6 billion in debt, and Jesus forgave it. Some of us had $100 billion in debt, Jesus forgave it. Some of, some of us had $100 trillion in debt, Jesus forgave it. All of us had debt that we could never, ever, ever in a lifetime or for all eternity, for all eternity, we could have never paid off that debt debt, but Jesus, his sacrifice on the cross, paid it in full. Can I get an amen for that one? Now here's the challenge that Jesus gives. If you've been forgiven of trillions, can you forgive someone of thousands? If you've been forgiven of billions and trillions, can you forgive someone of hundreds? You see, this petition encourages us to rebel against sin and against bitterness. Forgiveness, at its core, is releasing others of debt. And I have no doubt that others are indebted to you today. It might be a friend, it might be a family member, people have wronged you, people have hurt you, and I'm also, I'm, I'm also pretty certain that you might be in debt to somebody else. And the best way to release someone's power over you if someone is in debt to you, they also have this power over you because you're bitter and you're, you're hurt and, and it, it, sometimes it tr- something triggers you and it, and it bothers you. The best way to release that power over you is to forgive. To put the situation in God's hand, hands and allow him to fight your battle for you. And that's why Paul says in Ephesians, he says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you let me tell you guys there is great power in forgiveness there is great power in forgiveness if you've been forgiven of much then you understand that and if you've been forgiven of much then you know how to also forgive much because forgiveness is powerful it could change the world I was watching a movie recently so I have two kids if you don't know this I have two kids I have a daughter her name is Blake she's six years old and I have a son named John. He's five years old. They love everything Disney. Do I have any Disney fans in here this morning? Okay, so I, we love Disneyland. We weren't very far from Disneyland, uh, so that's one you know, downside to being here, but we're still going to make Disney trips happen. Now, we love Disneyland, and uh, and my kids, they love Disney movies. My son, he loves everything Marvel and fighting. That's my son. Uh, my daughter, she loves uh, every princess movie and, and, and every song. And as a dad watching all these Disney movies, I know every single Disney song, okay? I won't sing them for you because it's bad. But, like, so just a moment ago, I was sitting there in the front, and I accidentally had my mic on while I was singing. And I know the guys up here can hear me singing. That, I probably threw them off during worship. But... As a dad, I know every, every Disney song, and I watch every Disney movie with my kids. Recently, we watched the movie Cinderella, and at the end of the movie, there's this really powerful scene, the new Cinderella. It's newer, I guess. Cinderella, she had been, she had been abused by her family, by, by her stepmom, her, her stepsisters, taken advantage of, used, not respected, not wanted, not loved. And she had to endure this for a long time, and she's in this household, and it's it's terrible. And at the end of the movie, she's finally set free from being a captive to them. And even though she'd been wronged, and even though she'd been hurt in so many ways, and people attacked her and called her names and did all these terrible things to her, on the way out of the house, she looks back at her stepmom, and you know what she says? I forgive you. That's it. After years of struggle, years of hurt, years of being taken advantage of, no one prompted it, no one asked her for forgiveness. But before she left that house, she looked back and she said these three simple words, I forgive you. Those are very simple words, but when you string them together, they are some of the most powerful words on the planet. Who is God Calling you to forgive. And how are you calling upon God to forgive you? Do you need to rebel against sin and bitterness this morning? I invite you to pray this prayer. Forgive me, Lord, as I have forgiven others. I invite you to to start learning how to forgive. Because you're going to need it. And others are also going to need to forgive you. Father, forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. The last petition, the final one, number three, teaches us to rebel against Satan and temptation. So let's read the prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Now in this final petition Jesus teaches us to pray for deliverance. First that we might be delivered from temptation, which is a daily battle that sometimes we forget about, and second that we might be delivered from the devil. If you were to read this passage in Greek, the the, ax, the last line actually says deliver us from not from evil, but from the evil one. So this petition, it acknowledges that you and I, we have a very real enemy, and his name is Satan. You and I have a very real and present enemy. His name is Satan. And, and the Greek term for Satan is Satanas, and it means the adversary or the enemy. Other terms for Satan include the devil, the accuser, the tempter, the father of lies, the God of this world. And what's so interesting is that in all the Bible... No one talks more about Satan and demons than Jesus Christ. You know why Jesus talks so much about Satan and why Jesus references demons so often? It's because he knows behind every lie and behind every temptation there is lurking someone who wants to devour you. Someone named Satan. Behind every lie and every temptation there's somebody Spinning this web to, to catch you, to, to trap you, and to turn you from God. And so that's why the Bible warns over and over again to stand firm, to resist the devil, to be aware of his schemes and designs. Because according to the Bible in 1 Peter 5.8, Satan roams around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, and he'll devour you if you're vulnerable. He'll devour your faith, he'll devour your marriage, your joy, your security in Christ, because he is a very real and very present danger. That being said, Satan is not an equal and opposite force to God. Although he is strong, although he is powerful, although he is dangerous, he is not an equal and opposite force to God. I, I, I went to a skate shop recently, and I saw a skateboard on the wall where Satan and Jesus were arm-wrestling. And, and if that happened in real life, there would be no competition. Okay, it's like the rock arm wrestling, my son John. It's not going he's not gonna, John can't win. There, there's no competition. And although Satan cannot trap Jesus, you know who he can trap? Us. And so that's why the apostle Paul he warns of Satan's snares. If you don't know what a snare is, a snare, it's a hunting device used to catch animals. And so good hunters, they're meticulous when pursuing their prey. They study their prey. They watch their prey. They pay attention to weaknesses in their prey. And they set these snares down paths that their prey frequently travel. And then they lure in their prey to these traps by placing bait in these traps. If you ever set up a snare, you know what I'm talking about. Satan is a good hunter. He watches you. He watches me. He knows how to bait us. He knows how to trap us. And so if you want to grow in your relationship with the Lord, you want to be all that you can be, you want to see your family be all it can be, you need to be aware of Satan's bait in your life. All of us have different bait that he uses. For some of us, our bait is lust. He knows about that secret relationship, those secret temptations, longings. Maybe what you might look at on the internet when no one's around, and, he, and he'll whisper in your ear and he'll say, "Everyone does it. It's okay. It's just this one time." And he'll lure you, and he'll lure you, and he'll lure you until, boom. He's trapped you. And 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 he'll always, with whatever bait he presents you with, he'll always overpromise and underdeliver. He'll promise happiness, he'll promise joy, he'll promise success, but at the end of the day, you'll just experience destruction because he wants to destroy you. Maybe your bait is a substance. And, and he c- continues to lure you with this thing that, that if you're being honest with yourself, it's actually destroying you. But but deep down, you're, you're told this lie that you could just stop whenever you want to stop. And, and he tells you just one more, just just... Just another one, just just one more week of this. You could stop next week, you could stop next year, and he baits you and he baits you and he baits you until finally he can destroy you. Some of you, your bait might be stuff. Maybe it's this temptation that that something new and shiny is finally going to make you happy. And then when you get that new and shiny thing, a few months later, Apple comes out with a new iPhone. (laughs) Right, does that happen to any of you guys? It's like anytime I get something cool the next month, hey, we just released a new one. The, sh- the shine wears off. The gloss fades. And what we thought would make us happy, it, it didn't work. Or maybe it's just consuming, you with t- consuming your time. One way that Satan baits us, if you've ever read Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, a really good book, if you want to learn more about how Satan might work to, to-, to trap us and bait us, one thing that Satan likes to do And this is nothing like just over the top. He just likes to consume your time. Just be busy with one thing after another. Never having time to slow down, to pray, to read your Bible, to be present with your kids, to be present with your wife or your your husband. And and just adding one thing after another onto your calendar to where you're just stretched so thin. You're just kind of hollow inside. What's truly scary though, is that Satan doesn't just trap individuals. He also traps entire nations. He also traps entire schools. He also traps entire communities. And even though Jesus promised that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church, Satan at times steps in and finds ways to trap churches. And so we need to be aware we don't need to just be aware. You know what else we need to do? We need to rebel. Some of you have a rebellious spirit, and you put it to death a long time ago because you're like, every time I was that way, I got in trouble. I want you to awaken that spirit again for the right things. the The best way to rebel against the darkness around us, the best way to rebel against the world, uh, a world of of just going in a, in a wrong direction or Satan getting into our lives, the best way to rebel is to pray. To pray. And so South Valley, I want to encourage you guys during this season to fight back. To fight back. To fight for your community. To fight for your family. To fight for the good of this church. And so I'm calling on you and encouraging you and inviting you to step into a life of fervent prayer. I'm calling on you and encouraging you to actually bring your needs before Jesus. Help Bring your daily needs before him. Bring your sins before him. Let him forgive you. Bring, let him allow you to forgive others. Bring your temptations and your worries and all of that to him. Become aware of the devil and his schemes. Become aware of the ways that maybe you're trapped right now. Maybe he's trapped somebody in your family. Maybe he's trapping you. You're not stuck. God is greater than Satan. He's over. Jesus has overcome the world. Greater is he who lives in you than he who's in the world. You, don't, you have everything you need to live a life that, that honors God, a life that thrives, a life of joy, of peace, of contentment, a life of eternal impact. You have everything you need. All you got to do is go to your Father in heaven who hears you, who loves you, who responds to you, and he'll give you what you need for today. And when we do that, When we finally come and say, God, I'm not going to do this on my own anymore. I'm not going to just read self-help books. I'm not going to just try this this other thing to make me happy. I'm going to look to you and to you alone. I'm going to start my day talking to you. I'm going to end my day talking to you. I'm going to pray for this church. I'm going to pray for this community. I'm not content with the world. I'm not content. I rebel. I choose today to rebel. And this doesn't mean that we're mean to the people around us. This doesn't mean that we're mean to the world. This doesn't mean that we're mean to people who are struggling with sin. That's not what we're saying. But what we're saying is we're not gonna, we we believe that they don't have to stay in that spot and that God can come in and do miraculous things and maybe God wants to use us to be a part of that miraculous journey. South Valley, will you pray with me? Will you pray in this season? Pray that God's kingdom would come. Pray that God's name would be hollow, that he would be glorified above all, first in everything. Pray that we would trust his will, whatever his will is for us. Pray for daily bread that he'd meet our needs and and the needs of those around us within our community. Pray for forgiveness. Extend forgiveness. Pray for strength to fight back against temptation and the evil one. And watch what God does as he engulfs us with his spirit and empowers us to change the world around us prayer is rebellion and prayer changes things pray big this season will you pray with me god i thank you so much for calling us to prayer for inviting us to bring what we're struggling with what we're enduring whatever it is that's on our heart to bring it to you and you're a good father and you're a father who listens and a father who cares and we get to approach you right now i pray that we would approach you in this last song Help us to do some work with you. In this last song, maybe there's something that you pointed out in us today that we finally need to address, that we finally need to to bring to the surface. Give us healing. Give us hope. Help us to be all that you made us to be. Make our prayer lives vibrant and use this series to help us to go deeper with you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.